0: Good morning, everyone. Good to be with all you guys. Hey, hello, everyone at home. Uh, fantastic to be together this morning. I wanted to take a couple of moments just to say, well done to South Penn. i mean it 's so awesome that you you, you want the stuff <laughs> it 's so awesome that you, uh, that you 've been allowing Constantia to share in your streaming. Um, I spend a lot of time with Luke and not so much as we 're used to driving together in the car. But I just want to say to you guys, to South Penn, that you have a pastoral team of elders that love you guys. And that I mean, this has been by far the hardest season of leadership I've ever experienced as a, as a, as a leader. And we've had some challenges. But man, this has been a particularly difficult season. So well done to you, Lukey, Lauren, and the team. I mean, just fantastic. And I have to give a shout out to Dirk. I mean, Dirk is like the hero behind the scenes that makes all of these guys look good. <laughs> Uh, Dirk is he, he does the setup, he helps with the streaming, he's even helping us, Constantiburg, get into the game. So, man Dirk, well done, bro, you're doing an amazing job. I love the three cameras. Did you see the back shot earlier? Come on, the guy's killing it. Yeah. Boom. Just like that. Just happens, eh? But someone makes it happen. And that's the hard work. But Hey, Luke, thank you, team, thank you for letting me preach this morning. I mean, awesome to be with you. I get to kick off this Exodus series. Man, I think it's going to be an absolute ripper. If you don't know where that is in the Bible, it's the second book right after Genesis, so you can turn there if you want to. We've just come off 10 days of COVID quarantine, us as a family, the Millers. uh, Heidi tested positive last week, so we've been at home for 10 days. Uh, Praise God, we didn't have any hectic symptoms, just headaches, no respiratory problems, Uh, Probably the hardest thing for us was managing the kids and the energy in the house for 10 days. So uh, we kind of had our own little exodus on Friday when we got to leave the house and enter into the wide world. And not even the rain kept me off my mountain bike on Friday. So it was awesome. But let me just quickly explain why Exodus, why the book of Exodus. Well, it's the historical account of Israel's journey of redemption from slavery in Egypt. But what's so incredible about this book of Exodus is that while it's describing what's happening with Israel, it's got this incredible, it, it kind of casts a shadow over all of history. It casts a shadow kind of over our lives and our experiences in the world. What I mean, is, it, it, it's, it's like one of those books that's one of the best examples of the timelessness of Scripture. How when you read the Scriptures, you can see that something's happening then and there. But man, we can see how it's speaking to us here and now, right at the same time. There's so many layers and so many foreshadowings. So as we track their journey, we're going to get huge amounts of insights into our own lives, into our own world, into our own history, and hey, even our future. Here's what Andrew Wilson has to say about Exodus. He says the basic idea is that Exodus is central to the scriptures, central to the gospel, and central to the Christian life. And that whatever book of the Bible you're reading, and whichever Christian practices you're involved in, echoes of the Exodus are in there somewhere. Okay, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be an epic journey. We get to learn about God. We get to learn about our world. We get to understand the gospel uh, more deeply. We get to understand our own salvation and what it means that God has rescued us, redeemed us, saved us. And of course, we're going to understand what it means to follow Jesus what it means to to get involved in God's mission or God's activity in the world today, just like God was active in the days of Exodus. So we're going to see that God is the God who redeems. I mean, Exodus is the first time in the scriptures you're going to hear the words redemption or salvation. We'll learn that God hates injustice, that God frees the oppressed. He sides with the poor and the marginalized. He acts on behalf of those who cannot act for themselves, that God cares about the flourishing of all people. It's incredibly powerful, not only for the, as I've said, for the Israelites in Exodus, but for us today in our lives. I want to give you an example. You may not know this, but during the height of slavery in England, Exodus, along with many other parts of the Old Testament, were actually removed from the Bible that was given to slaves. There's a picture that'll come up for a second. Now, This picture I guess, should anger us, certainly should anger us. This is reality. This is a version of the scripture that was given to slaves. No, you won't find Exodus in the scripture far too dangerous, far too dangerous for people to understand that God redeems, that God hates slavery, that God wants people to live full lives, almost large sways of the Old Testament, simply removed. I mean, the irony of it, right? should anger us. Our Blood should be boiling a little bit. Yeah, we want you to be a Christian, but we don't want you to really understand who God is. We don't really want you to understand what God has for your life because it doesn't really fit our economics. You know, we've got our, our own purposes on the go here. Okay, we're going to see that our salvation and the power of the gospel whispered throughout this book helps us to deeply understand our own salvation. What God has freed us from, but also what God has freed us for and what he invites us into. I think throughout Exodus, we're going to see that God doesn't just save souls. Sometimes we say that we pray for souls. Now, I believe God saves people. And we're going to see that in the book of Exodus. I think we, like God does, ought to care about injustice. And care about the oppressed as we go about preaching the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus. At the same time, we're, we're expressing God's concern for injustice and oppression. It's not one or the other. It's both at the same time together. Can you guys still hear me back there, huh? Man, I'm from Constantinople. We're in a tent. When it rains, it's, it's worse. Plus, there's not even any baboons running over the tent. Uh, we know what it's like, Constantinople. We can handle it. These guys in their semi-buildings are so soft. Hey. Oh, got, We've got some drifts happening. And hey, guys, as Christ, as Christ followers, we don't only seek justice for those who already follow Jesus. No, no, we seek justice in the name of Jesus or because of Jesus not only for Christ for us. So I hope you're starting to feel some excitement. I hope you're starting to see what God has in store for us through the book of Exodus. It's going to be a fascinating journey. I know, I know that if you track with us along this journey with a humble heart, desiring God to shape you and form you, that you will never be the same again. And not only you as an individual, but us as a people you as Common Ground, South Penn, a family that God is forming, a family that God is forming across the city, the church, the world around us will never be the same again. It's so exciting to be a part of this journey. It's an incredible gift from God. Actually, along with all of the scriptures, an incredible gift from God. So we're not going to go verse by verse. We're kind of going to move through chunk by chunk uh, through the books of, book of Exodus. Um, maybe, hey, maybe you're not yet a Christ follower and you're joining us. Uh, Want to say up front, great to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm guessing you're asking some questions about life, and maybe you're trying to figure out a few things. Well, I think you've picked a brilliant time to join us. There's so much noise about who God is, what it means to follow Him, you know, what the church is all about. Well, throughout this series, you're going to get a much clearer picture of it all. Hey, Christian or not yet Christian, Exodus, the Bible, is going to speak to all of us in powerful ways. So, I want to pray. And I want to trust God to do that in us. Pray with me. God, as we bring our souls and our hearts and our minds before you, God, we want to humbly just uh, give the scriptures authority over our lives. God, we ask you to speak to us, to form us, to shape us. We pray you give us receptive and soft hearts, ears to hear. God, we want your word, the power of your truth to have its way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I get to go through the first two chapters of Exodus today. Um, we're just going to read through it. I, mean, I might skip a few parts here and there because it's, it's two chapters. And I'm just going to make comments as we go. Really, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to just introduce us to the book, to the series, to what's happening Secondly, I want to illustrate some of what I've spoken about today, how the Bible you know, speaks to us both then and now. And lastly, I just want to pull out a few truths as we go that, that are, I think, applicable for us right now. Just things that God laid on my heart. So before I get reading, let me just tell you, I sometimes use the word Hebrew and Israelite interchangeably. Just want to explain why. They're, they actually are the same people. So when, when the Jews speak about themselves, they speak about being Israelite's. But if if a foreign power speaks about them, they speak about the Hebrews. So even if Israelites are speaking to each other, in the presence of foreigners, they might call themselves Hebrews. So Hebrews and Israelites are the same group of people. Exodus 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. So Joseph plus all of those guys, there's 12 sons with their family, 12 sons of Jacob. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all, the gener- and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. So who are all these guys? These are the sons of Jacob or Israel. Again, same person. His name was Jacob. God changed his, or gave him the name Israel, and these are his 12 sons who are going to become the 12 tribes of Israel, around which most of the New Testament flows. Now, as you read this, verse 7 might actually sound a little bit familiar to some of you. The Israelites were fruitful, multiplied greatly in number, became exceedingly numerous. The land was filled with them. You might, if you join us during the origin series, if we looked at Genesis, you'll know that in Genesis, God spoke to Adam and Eve and says, be fruitful, increase in number and fill the earth. I mean, you're picking up that language coming through you. So that's exactly what's happening. The Israelites are starting to multiply and be fruitful. You know, by the end of Genesis, uh, God goes to a man called Abraham, who he later renames Abraham who is Jacob's grandfather, I'll explain it to you now, and he promises, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless the world. Again, we see that taking place here. You've got Abraham, God gives this promise to him. He has a son, Isaac. Isaac has Jacob, so, and now you have these 12 sons. Now you're starting to see this multiplication, this, what, what God had promised to Abraham taking place. That's why sometimes you'll hear you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the first three generations of God's promise to call them apart for his purposes. Okay, some background into where we're going. Verse 8. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become way too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses, as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Puah, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him but if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God. They did not want to do what the king of Egypt had told them, and they let the boys live. Skipping to verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Things take a turn for the worse, for the Israelites. I mean, they forget all about Joseph. Joseph was once second only to Pharaoh in the land. He was a huge blessing to Egypt. He caused them to flourish and to outlive some very terrible times. But when the new king came in, they forgot. And so now Pharaoh's got a dilemma. He wants the Israelites for the economic uh, prosperity that they represent, but at the same time, they threaten the security of Egypt, and so they need to be dealt with shrewdly. And so the Israelites find themselves from going pawns from going from pawns in a foreign land to slaves in a foreign land. Now, as you read through the, this text, this text that I've just read, you can see a lot of the motives and powers that are forming uh, this narrative that, that, that lands Israel into this position of being slaves in Egypt. I want to look at some of them. You'll see straight away that as we recognize some of them out this text, that we can still see those same motives and powers at work in history and even in our lives right now. Firstly, there's amnesia. They forgot. the The new king, the new pharaoh came into power, and he forgot all about Joseph and what Joseph had done and how he had saved Egypt. And when that happens, we can become enslaved. When we forget about God, think about our own lives, our own history, whether it's, you know, we forget about God fully or we forget about portions of God or aspects of God's nature or aspects of his teaching, things can start to enslave us. Think about this. When we forget about each other, forget about how God created humanity, things take a turn for the worst. We can forget the truth that all people are created in the image and likeness of God. And when we do, prejudice sets in. We know all about that in South Africa, don't we? Isn't this the basis for the laws of apartheid that would take its hold on our nation? Isn't this the basis for the continuing racial narrative that, that takes hold of our hearts and minds as South Africans living in South Africa, that we grapple with. We forget the true nature of things. We forget the true nature of people created in his image and his likeness. Could this amnesia be part of the reason why we see such incredible gender-based violence and femicide in our rainbow nation? We forget the sanctity and the beauty of human life. I think this this radical kind of prejudice, it's only possible when we have amnesia, when we forget about God, when we forget about the true nature of things. Think about the book of James, who warns us, don't show favoritism between rich and the poor. Now, when you do, you assert God's authority, becoming evil judges, becoming judges with evil thoughts. So there's amnesia that can take place. There's fear. The Egyptians feared the Hebrews. It says right there, they, they came to dread the Hebrews. There's too many of them. They're a threat to us. Let's enslave them. Let's deal shrewdly with them. You pick up the us and them language. These guys are dangerous to us. I mean, this fear, is this what we see played out time again in our nation around xenophobia? What about the immigrant crisis around the world in the US and Europe? There's just too many of us. They're threatening our well-being. They might overrun us. They're too powerful. So let's be shrewd. Let's deal shrewdly with them. I wonder if in our own nation, you know, KwaZulu Natal, Joburg, over the last, uh, the, the violence and the destruction that took place. I mean, I wonder how much fear has taken root in South Africans' heart. Man, as Christ followers, we've got to, we've got to pray through these things. Remember God. Then there's also greed. Greed that leads to enslavement. For, for the Israelites, it was the cities of Pithom and Ramesses. I mean, these store cities. The Egyptians accumulated all their wealth and they stuck them inside these two great cities built on the backs of slaves. Striking contrast. But we live in a country with the biggest divide between the rich and the poor in the world. I mean, striking contrast. I mean, even today, there's upwards of 50 million slaves in the world. That actually human trafficking is the second largest organized crime in the world. We see this happening in Israel as they're in slavery in Egypt, but we see the same slavery at work in our world and even in our own lives. Then there's ruthlessness. It's like the hardening of the heart towards God and towards the world and towards each other, humanity, that we can deal with each other so ruthlessly in such harsh ways. I mean, think about how brutal this partial genocide is. I mean, you're, there's, no, um, you know, there's no ultrasound for nine months. You carry a baby. At the moment of birth, is it a boy or is it a girl? And either relief or devastation follows. Ruthlessness. But we read incredibly, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. We can see God's faithfulness to his promises playing out in this book. So what are we seeing here? I mean, where do all these, these powers and these motives that are, that are enslaving people, where do they come from? Well, whether for the Hebrews then or for us now, what we're seeing is the, is the outplaying of the corruption and the decay of sin that entered into the world, that entered into our own hearts In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve made the decision to disregard the rule and the reign of their creator, destruction and decay entered into the world, entered into our hearts, and we can and do become enslaved in so many ways. Physically, spiritually, economically, socially, the list can go on. That's Exodus 1. As much as it points to Israel's captivity... It speaks of a far greater slavery. Underneath the overturns, there's this deeper slavery, this deeper enslavement that needs a far greater redemption than what we're going to read about in the rest of Exodus. Okay, so Exodus 1 describes this activity, and man, we can see our lives uh, foreshadowed there. Now, chapter 2 starts to speak to us about what God's going to do about it, about God's plan of redemption. So let's, let's get into Exodus chapter 2. You're going to start seeing some very vivid foreshadows, pictures of the gospel of Jesus Christ, patterns of redemption. It's quite fascinating, really. Okay, verse 1. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son who would be Moses. Okay, who knows? This is a real question for those in the room. What? The name of either Moses' mom or dad is? Just a random question. I didn't know. Wow. Yeah. Anyone else? I mean, Amram, who knew that? Wow. Not Mary, no. Jochebed. Hey, oh yeah, you knew that. That's amazing, by the way. We're going to get you a prize, Luke. We need a prize. Leanne, can we get a prize? That's a definite prize. You don't have to say, no, I'm deciding you need a prize, not you. (laughs) You can give it away if you want. Okay, so let's keep reading. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, that's Moses' sister, asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she, she answered. And the girl went to get the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. He's going to pay Moses' mom to take care of him. <laughs> so the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew old, she took him to, uh, to Pharaoh's daughter, and she became her son, a prince of Egypt. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. What a remarkable story. What a remarkable story. And I just want to draw out three observations from the story of God's sovereignty The first one is this. We don't often celebrate the role of women in God's redemptive purposes. But in this story, it's just so massive. Not simply because they gave birth to some guy that did something great. There's far more than that. We've read of at least five women that God has used incredibly in this story. First, you've got Shipra and Pua, the midwives. Now, whether it was just them or they represented a number of other midwives, we're not sure. But they refused to carry out Pharaoh's decree. So we see their bravery. And what I left out is that when Pharaoh comes to them and says, hey, what's going on? Why aren't these babies being killed? They say, no, no, you know, these Israelites, they're not like the Egyptians. By the time we get that, it's too late. The babies are born and there's nothing we can do about it. They, they kind of use their bravery, their intellect, their wits. To undermine Pharaoh and they get away with it. And God blesses them for it. You got Moses' mom and sister. You know, she hid Moses for a long time. She took it, made a plan, she constructed a basket, she coated it, she put him in it. As an act of faith, she trusted that God would look after this precious baby. And sisters, uh, his sister was, was on, Miriam. And she was hands-on to follow what was happening. And as soon as Pharaoh's daughter, the slave, picked up the baby, gave it to her, she was there in a flash saying, hey, I can, I can help you with this problem. Could I sort something out for you? I mean, amazing activities of women, not just because they're giving birth. But no, they're using their intellect. They're being brave. They're stepping out in faith to see that God's purposes come to fruition. Then you've got Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, defying her own father's uh, selective genocide, she ensures Moses lives through uh, this terrifying time. That's just in this text five times. You've also, throughout the scriptures, you've got someone like Tamar. She's, she's a remarkable woman who uses her, her smarts, her endurance, her strength of character she, to endure many trials and tribulations. And eventually she gives birth to someone called Perez, who, which is the bloodline for King David and Jesus Christ himself. I mean, incredible woman. There's Rahab, Ruth, Esther, Elizabeth, Mary, who all through a blend of faith and a blend of ingenuity and tenacity and gifting and sheer wit and will were crucial in God's plans of redemption in the world. Last month, we celebrated Women's Day, 9th of August. Can I be honest? I don't think I've ever really, I mean, I laugh, but it's not actually funny. I don't think I've really understood Women's Day. And the beauty and the power of Women's Day that we celebrate, even here in South Africa. It commemorates the day 20,000 women of color marched on the union buildings in Pretoria to protest the past legislation that would, that would cause the, it would tighten the grip of the apartheid government on the movement of women in South Africa. Look at this picture. This is actually in Cape Town at the same time that it was, this protest was happening in Pretoria, and they stood for 30 minutes in silence. And then they sang a protest protest song that says, "Watinzabafazi, watinzabukodo." Means, "Now you have struck a woman, you have struck a rock." Wow! I started reading about the incredible role of women in the struggle against apartheid. Something I've never done before, and I've discovered women like Helen Suzman, Albertina Sisulu, Lilian Ngoyi, Winnie Madikizela-Mandela. I think we should be a people who learn. To celebrate the role of women more and more and more. God uses women in incredible ways. And we see it right here in our own world and in Exodus. Okay, maybe I went down a bit of a rabbit hole there, but what a powerful, powerful truth for all of us. I said, we, I said throughout this text we're going to see patterns of redemption, patterns of salvation. Well, here's one of the most powerful ones. The Hebrew word for basket, you know, she placed Moses in a basket. That word is only used once again in the Old Testament. Any guesses? In the word ark, which were both coated with pitch and put in water. I mean, incredible um, symmetry. You've got Moses who's taken out of the water. Or he's put into the water and drawn out into God's great purposes. You think about the Israelites, led by Moses as we go into the story, taken into the water of the Red Sea, drawn out into God's purposes. Fast forward to Jesus, his baptism by John the baptizer. You see him going into the water, being drawn out into the purposes of God to win our redemption against the greatest slavery we will ever face in our lives. You can see the similarities right here between Moses and the birth of Jesus. Here's another one. Both born at a time of partial genocide and both enduring. Jesus also born in a time where every baby boy was being killed. Moses, in a sense, moved closer to the Egyptian royalty as he, was, as he ended up in the hands of a princess while Mary and Joseph fl- fl- fled with Jesus into Egypt to escape the partial genocide. See, throughout Exodus... You're going to see these incredible flashes of the gospel, of the life of Jesus, of the birth of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the work of Jesus in winning our salvation, and we're going to discover more and more about our great salvation. Okay, verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? the uh, The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and filled and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. Now, if you can track this story with me just for a second, you can see that God is preparing Moses for what he has in store for him down the line. Like I've said before, we're going to see things just like this that are applicable to our own lives, how God is at work in our lives as Christ follows, to prepare us for the work that he's got for us, to make sure that we're able to live into the fullness of what God purposes for us. Moses here is being matured. He's being formed. He's going to do a lot more of it. It's going to take 40 years at the end. Firstly, you've got Mo- Moses striking down the Egyptian and just killing him there on the spot. I mean, yay, Moses, brilliant sense of justice and, and, and hating injustice, but man, he was just impetuous and, and ill-tempered, and he just struck the man down and killed him. He knew immediately he did something wrong. He says, he looked this way and that. He buried the guy. He knew what he had done was wrong. Then just the next day, you already see a kind of tempering in Moses. You know, he sees these two Hebrews fighting. He goes to them. Maybe he's learned let me not kill these guys. He, he chats to them. He talks to them, but he gets fined out. Now it's a little bit later on, and you see these uh, women, they're in trouble. They're they're getting pushed away by the shepherds, and he comes to the rescue again. He fights injustice, but now it's, it's a lot more wholesome. And so already you see this maturing in Moses. It's like God uses all of these occasions to equip and prepare him. Man, guys, there's stuff in our lives that maybe right now we don't like. We don't like about ourselves. But hey, maybe God's put something in us, and we just. We're just not mature enough yet to give healthy expression to it. But here's what you can be rest assured of. God is at work in your life. God is forming and shaping you and bringing you to maturity so that God can use all of these things he puts inside you for his purposes. There might be things inside you that you don't like right now that maybe you even think disqualify you or that make you draw away and pull back from the purposes of God. I want to say to you, no. We're going to learn throughout the book of Exodus that God is at work in your life that God will form you, that God will shape you, that God will qualify you. Just stay humble. Let him do his work in you. We'll be amazed at what God does. Okay, I'm right at the end of the message now. Something's missing from the story of Exodus, from what I've been telling you. You know, we can see the need for redemption. We can see God getting to work, starting to uh, move towards his great plan of redemption but something's missing. I mean, what is the hope for Israel here? Now, what is the hope for those that are oppressed and downtrodden or marginalized, who find themselves totally enslaved? Maybe back to our day today. What's the hope for us who find ourselves enslaved or find ourselves in trouble or find ourselves, in a sense, locked into a world that we really struggle with, maybe even feel locked into our own heart's desire, our own actions? Well, here we go, Exodus 2, verse 23. It says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Here's the hope for Israel God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God cares. That's true for them and it's true for you. It's true for us. God hears. God remembers his covenant. God sees your circumstances. And God cares about your life and mine. God will ultimately redeem every injustice. He will set free every captive in Jesus Christ. Hey, truth be told, one of the big things you learn about Exodus, God's got a different timetable to us. God works on a different timetable. In God's sovereignty, I don't know why, but he acts maybe differently to how we would expect him to act. Maybe you find yourself in that circumstance. Maybe you're longing for this redemption. You're longing for God to see, for God to hear. I want you to know that God sees. He may not be acting right now as you want him to, as you desire him to, but here's the ultimate victory for us. We know that the day will come when Christ wraps up human history as we know it, and he will put right and redeem every wrong that you've experienced, every wrong that's in this world. And we live in a new heaven and a new earth with no more injustice, no more oppression, no more tears, no more sadness. So as we look at Exodus, even these beginning chapters, man, we can see that God has a lot to say to us. There's so much to learn about him, about our great salvation, about the hope we have in him, and and our role in not only seeing people saved, souls saved, but seeing people redeemed, people flourishing in all areas of life. So as we follow him, we follow him as we see him bringing salvation in Exodus. I want to pray for us, and then you guys can land us. Let's pray together. Wow, God, what a what a gift you've given us in this book. And as we as we look to you, as we consider you, as we consider our own lives, as we consider our reality, God, we hunger and thirst to know you more. God, we desire to understand ourselves and our world and God, we want to know more about our great salvation and we want to know more about how we can join you and what you're doing in the world and what it looks like and what it means. God, do it in us. Today and in these next few weeks, God, that you would radically shift, transform, renew, mature us as people, as a people for your glory and for the good of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.